Sometimes I lose things. Sometimes I just think I lose things. I panic either way. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. I lose things often, or maybe misplace is a better word for it. I lose my keys daily. I dig and dig and dig in a purse or my briefcase or in a bag or in my lunch looking for where they might be. I mutter and complain, and then when I find them, I vow to keep them in the same pocket every time from now on so I don't keep wasting my time looking for them. I frustrate myself. People always have great ideas for how to help me, and I appreciate these people and their ideas, and I try them, and they don't work. I just keep losing things. One woman suggested having a clip on the outside of my purse and then clipping my keys to it every time I take them out of the car. I tried that, and it worked when I did it, of course, but sometimes I was hurrying to get out of the rain, or sometimes I had to reach into my back seat to grab one more thing, and I'd tell myself I'd hook my keys onto my purse as soon as I walked into the store or my house or a coffee shop or wherever, and in the meantime, I'd just throw them here, which is the problem, because here is a moving target, and sometimes it's one that just doesn't make sense, like I'll throw them on the front seat or in my coat pocket, and then I'll decide I don't need my coat because it's just running to the store, and I'm just going to be in there for like 10 seconds, so I take off my coat and leave that in the car, and then I look forever in the grocery store knowing I put them in a pocket someplace. People will often suggest I buy a tile. They say it changed their life. I would like to change this part of my life. Are you familiar with what a tile is? It's a wireless, small, square, white plastic gadget that you're supposed to attach to the things that you lose. If you Google it, you will immediately see false advertising. You will find the heading, Tile, official site, never lose anything again. It's a pretty tall claim. If you'd look on their website, you would read, Tile was made to help you find the things that matter most. When you activate a tile and attach it to an item, the tile app discovers the tile and establishes a connection to it using your device's Bluetooth signal. Once a Bluetooth connection is made between your tile and mobile device, tile then uses the location services of your mobile device to communicate up-to-date location information to the app. I understand this. It sounds great. I always have my Bluetooth signal on. It's activated for my Fitbit or when I use my phone in my car or whatever. The website goes on. Your tile can be discovered by your smartphone or tablet within Bluetooth range. To always have the best connection and the most up-to-date location information when your tile and device are within range of each other, do the following, and they list five things. Bluetooth must always be enabled. The tile app must always be open and running. Location services should be enabled. Always should be checked for users running iOS. Location permissions should be toggled on for users running Android, and that's it. They need to add one more thing to this list. The tile must not be lost before you do any of these things. Somewhere in my house or car or someone else's house or car or on along the road somewhere or store or a shop, I have lost two very helpful gadgets. It's easy to lose something small like that. What's not easy to lose is a car. 
When I was in college, I didn't have a car to use, like ever. That's why I needed someone to bring me to the bank, as I shared in Season 2, Episode 14. My roommate got approved to bring a car her freshman year because she needed it to transport her to and from work. Once in a while, she'd let me borrow it, too. Like I think I did twice. This no car in freshman year was really hard for some people, not for me. I actually never even had my own car, so I didn't really know what I was missing, which was a problem. I didn't know what I was missing until it was gone. Wait, is that a song? No. Isn't that a song? Don't know what you've missed. Oh, don't know what you've got until it's gone. And I found out a little too late. Being without you takes a lot of getting used to. I learned to live with it, but I don't want to be without. I can't remember what's next. Oh my gosh. What song even is that? It might be Chicago or something. Okay. I'm going to Google that when I'm done. What was I even saying? Okay. Oh, right. A car. I didn't know what I was missing until it was gone. Right. Okay. So I didn't have a car in college. No freshmen were allowed to have cars in college unless they could prove they needed one. What I didn't know was that that process was actually pretty easy. I didn't ever find that out because even if I had gotten approved, I didn't have a car to bring. Our cars were our family cars. My dad had one. My mom had one. We had a couple off and on that the kids could use, but nobody owned except for my dad. And so when I applied for a job, I applied for one that would allow me to be able to take a bus to work. I applied at a store in our local mall and I got the job. And then I never worked a day in my life. And I don't mean that like when people say, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I mean, literally, I never worked a day in my life in this store. The name of the store was La Chamie. <laughs> they, they sold cashmere and other high-end sweaters and blouses for women. And shortly after they hired me and told me about the days I was supposed to show up for training, they shut down. <laughs> I did check to see if they were operating somewhere and they're not. There is a men's store in Stockholm, Sweden that's of the same name, but it's not the same place. Needless to say, I did not need a car for this no job, <laughs> but it would have been nice to have one to just go to the mall for fun, which I did do one day. My parents had gone on vacation with my younger siblings, and while they were gone, I was asked to pop in the house occasionally and check on things for them once in a while. Since my college was only 15 minutes away, that wasn't that big of a deal at all. And when I said I would, they gave me a car to use. That car was a 1970-something Pontiac Catalina. It was maroon with a black vinyl roof. It was two doors. It was a boat. It had been my uncle's car. But my parents had it now for us kids to use. I took the car to school, and I got permission to park it in some special lot for a while. It sat there for a few days since I was busy with classes and wasn't used to having one. Then I drove it home to check how things were going back at the house. Things were fine. I took in the mail, made sure everything looked okay, and then I drove it back to school. I actually drove it there once, and a bird had gotten in through the um, chimney. I had to call my neighbor and have him help me get it out. That was exciting, um, but that's not this point at all. Took in the mail, did that. One night, I decided I was going to go to the mall. I just was going to go by myself. So I hopped in the car and drove there. It was great. I walked around. I bought an Orange Julius because for a while I liked them. I hate them now. It tastes like you're eating fuzzy oranges or something. I don't know. Anyway, I wandered in and out of stores and I didn't buy anything because I didn't have any money. And then I ran into some friends. Oh, that was fun. It was friends that I'd go to the mall with occasionally at other times or to a movie or up for pizza or whatever. You know, freshman in college fun stuff like that. 
We hung out for a while. We continued wandering, window shopping, and eventually we all piled into their car and made our way back to campus, just in time to use our meal cards to get some supper. You might be already getting ahead of me in this story at this point, and I applaud you for that. If not, you will discover shortly enough the answer to my word problem, which has to do with numbers of people, numbers of cars, and things like that. I ate dinner. I went back to my dorm. I studied. I hung out with my friends. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning, walked to my 7.30 music theory class. I had other classes after that, too, but I can't remember right now exactly what they were. I do remember that my entire freshman year, I had a 7.30 in the morning music theory class every single day. And my entire sophomore year, I had an 8.30 music theory class every single day. So I went to music theory classes, chapel. I ate meals. I chatted with friends. And then in the afternoon when my classes were over, I decided that was the time I was going to check on my parents' house and practice piano there where I wouldn't get interrupted. I would need to sign up for a practice room and I have all the space to myself and all that. So I walked to the parking lot where I was told that I could park. And I was mad because I couldn't remember exactly where it was. I mean, I knew the parking lot, but I couldn't remember exactly what space my car was in. So I walked down all the rows and I couldn't find it. I walked into another parking lot in case maybe I had parked in the lot where my roommate usually parks by accident. I started thinking I was either losing my mind or that someone had stolen my car. Probably, actually, I was thinking probably both. Okay, I wasn't sure how that was even possible, nor had I even considered that my big maroon beauty vinyl top was probably the least likely car to get stolen out of the parking lot, but it made the most sense. I started retracing my steps. I remember I parked there before. I remember I was at my parents' house. I remembered bringing in their mail. I even remembered eating a bowl of cereal. I remember driving back to school, and I absolutely remembered parking exactly in this lot. I remember because it was super handy when I walked out of class that one day and then decided to go to the mall, and it was right there. Oh, my gosh, the mall. I now remembered I drove to the mall, and I parked in the back by the Schmidt Music parking lot. Did I leave my car at the mall? What on earth? And then I remembered, oh, I drove back with my friends and I realized what I had done. I wasn't used to driving a car to the mall. I was used to riding with my friends and I just did what felt normal. Oh, I hoped it was still there, not towed somewhere. I found a friend who also had a car, but theirs was conveniently at school. And I asked for them to give me a ride to the mall. They said they couldn't stay long because they had something else a little bit later. I said, we're not even going to stay there at all. I just need to get there and drive myself back home, which was confusing to them. I didn't feel like explaining it, but I did feel like I owed them an explanation. So I did. They laughed. I said, I'll probably think this is more funny once I make it to the mall and I find my car. I even said, I'll probably make a good story someday. <laughs> Fortunately for me, both were true. I did think it was more funny when I saw my car. I laughed a lot. First, it was just that nervous laughter like, oh, <laughs> I'm trying not to cry. Then it was pretty much just straight up. How could I be so stupid laughter? I was grateful I found it. I was grateful I hadn't been towed. And I was super glad I didn't have to explain to my dad that I lost the car. Again, I read from Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is talking to the tax collectors. The sinners, which is in quotes in the biblical translations, by the way, not because they're not real sinners, but more because that's the moniker the Pharisees gave them as though they themselves were not such. So, yeah, Jesus was talking to the tax collectors, the sinners, and the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. And I read, What woman has ten silver coins? If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, 
sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. In this parable, often called the parable of the lost coin, for obvious reasons, we see a woman doing all she can to find her missing coin. She lights a lamp that cost something back then. She sweeps. She searches carefully until the coin is found. Just a quick aside here. Does it bother you too, if this bothers me like crazy, when people are looking for something and then they say, oh, I found it in the last place I looked. Which, duh, it's the last place you looked because you were no longer looking because you found it. Just drives me crazy. At any rate, the woman, the woman searches carefully for the coin and finds it in the last place she looked. <laughs> it was something of great value. The coin likely represented about a day's wages, and it was super great value to her. As is true with the parable of the lost sheep, again, the tenacity of the one seeking communicated the value of what was lost. Ultimately, we can see in this story God seeking out human beings who were lost to him, bringing them back into loving relationship with him. That's his point. Certainly the point here. All must realize their need to be found by him. But we also really need to recognize who Jesus was telling the story to and see that he wants them and us to imitate him in this ministry of reconciliation. In fact, he calls us in his word to this ministry of reconciliation through the writings of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 15, and I'm reading here. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Okay, pause, just to pause quick aside. Ah, Pharisees maybe needing to learn that, right? Maybe we. <laughs> All right, back up. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus doesn't want us to see others from a worldly point of view. He doesn't want us to look at those who are not in relationship with him yet and then call them out as sinners, avoid them, pointing fingers and, and behaviors unbecoming to one who has had the opportunity to know truth. He doesn't want us to live in self-righteous clusters where we develop an us versus them mentality, pointing out how bad everyone else is and, and how great we are. The church today needs to hear this too, doesn't it? We are called once we are lost and then now found. Once we were in the wrong place, seeking the wrong things, doing the going the wrong way, but God reached down and saved each one of us and placed their faith and trust in Christ. Once he has saved us, he wants us to partner with him, asking him how to use us to help him seek and save the lost. We can sweep the room. We can light the lamp. We can call out for the sheep, looking for the one who was lost. We can pray and care and eat dinner with those who have yet to hear the good news. And then we can share it. 
We are valuable. We are each valuable in God's sight. He paid a high price for us. The lost can be found, and each one can be restored to a right relationship with their Creator. 